0: The Haunted Davenport podcast. We discuss retro horror and sci fi television. For this episode, we invite you to come join us at our virtual campfire for a meeting of the Davenport Society. We're going to discuss the 90s Canadian television series, Are You Afraid of the Dark? a seminal horror children's series for a lot of us 90s kids and it originally um, it originally aired on Canadian television Halloween night 1990 Um, they aired the episode The Tale of the Twisted Claw and then soon after the series was picked up by Nickelodeon and they showed The Tale of the Twisted Claw as part of a Halloween special in 1991, which, incidentally, I think was where I first saw the series. The series ran for five seasons, and then had a three-year hiatus, and then the show had a revival, and two more seasons aired after that. Um, The final episode ran June 11th in 2000, and then just last year, the show was revived again for a 3 episode long miniseries. So, without further ado, let's talk some are you afraid of the dark guys. All right. Oh, I, I as usual because it's a tradition for me to forget to introduce my co-host around the campfire with me are my co-hosts Val. Hello. Andy. Hello and drew
1: i'm always last i think Are you? <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sitting right next to you
0: yeah well you know i i just want to make sure save the best for last i understand there, there you go that's that's exactly it so uh, do you guys have some general thoughts about this series before we get into some episode coverage
2: it's a lot better than i remember it um
0: Right? Yeah. yeah it,
2: I... it, it it holds up surprisingly well for, like, a children's horror show. So I
3: think you... the thing that... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Drew.
1: Oh, I was just going to ask if you guys both actually watched it on TV back in the day or not. Yes.
3: Yeah. I, at least I did. Yeah.
2: Um, When it first aired, when it was going through its first run in, what, 90, uh, 91 to 95, 96, um, mm-hmm. I just started getting old enough when I was like, in 1995 um, to kind of like understand horror um, and you know uh, you know, take an interest in the show but um, as I've mentioned before I was a cowardly child um, and the show was too
1: scary for me at that time so I, I only saw ever saw a couple of episodes that's alright I was in the same boat pretty much <laughs> I, didn't, I often didn't get past the intro because honestly the like theme music and in that intro like shots yeah is creepier than a lot of the episodes are. It's spooky.
0: Distant body child laughter. Yeah, I remember actually, especially watching this as an adult, I think it's still pretty entertaining. Sometimes the writing is kind of a little uneven, but I feel like the actual creatures and the horror that's menacing the children is nightmare fuel. Like, it's there's some demented imagery in some of these episodes. Yeah, it's, so it's it was a lot of fun revisiting this mm-hmm. and there's so many episodes worth discussing. Tonight we're gonna bring you four episodes of the series from kind of a little bit of a span throughout the first five seasons. Um, but yeah, it's it's I think for kids who are like late elementary school age to early junior high, I think this is perfect.
2: Yeah, the, the, the target demographic is specifically like tweens and, and early teens.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I was a sixth grader when I first saw the show, so I was the target audience. And then I kind of dropped off after the first couple seasons, because around that time I was kind of graduating to Tales from the Crypt and also just going out with my friends and stuff. But occasionally I would babysit some kids that really liked the show, so it was always fun to revisit it with them. And they never woke up in the middle of the night screaming, so I feel like no harm, no foul. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it's it's interesting because you know despite being a, a fairly spooky show, uh, most of the episodes have you know um, unambiguously things are okay endings. Um, it's 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 not like the Twilight Zone where you know sometimes sometimes the main characters are just screwed and that's the end.
0: Well, Val, did you have anything you wanted to add for just general comments before we get into our story share?
3: Oh yeah, the thing that I was going to point out is. So, like I used to watch this with our grandpa um, back in the day because I was also like too scared to watch it by myself again the intro was just like really scary like I was surprised <laughs> when I was watching as an adult I was like this is genuinely like, pretty spooky like spooky night robo I'm not about that Right. Um, but I would make Papa watch swings. it with... yeah I would like make Papa watch it with me and he was usually down um, but I was I don't think I knew as a kid that the stories were being told to each other by the campfire kids. I don't think I ever understood exactly what the narrative structure was. That they're <laughs> like in they think all week and they invent stories to tell each other. And I was just like, Oh, that's a really cool way of presenting the show. How cool and unique. Way to go children's programming. So my you know, twenty-nine-year-old brain was just blown because I <laughs> didn't understand how TV shows worked as a kid. Definitely,
0: the overall. Oh so, yeah,
3: that's my yeah my great contribution.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's basically like an anthology series where they have something to tie in short stories together. Except, unlike anthologies, which are usually movies that have like three or four stories and then like an overall story arc. There's an overall story arc, but only one one story per episode. Yes. Unless you're binge watching them all.
2: Yeah, and that's <laughs> right. another thing that I wanted to point out about this is a, a lot of children's programming, you know, not, not the majority, but a, a decent amount of it these days is scripted into um, two segments of uh, basically 11 minute stories. Um, and, I, and I think it does speak to the writing, you know, it's 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 hokey a lot of times And it's definitely like got a lot of camp and a lot of kid focused stuff on it But they make pretty good, you know sci-fi horror fantasy scripts that last half an hour uh, on this show
0: I kind of wonder as someone who never watched goosebumps because I was a little too old for it when it when it came on TV how this compares to goosebumps because I know Goosebumps books were available or starting to become available around the time that this series was on TV.
2: Yeah, that I don't know. I only ever saw the movie that they debuted the Goosebumps series with, the one with the green mask. Um
3: mm. Yeah. I yeah. was just thinking like, did I don't remember watching Goosebumps as a kid.
2: Yeah, so I, I can't speak to the quality of Goosebumps because I you know, the only horror show I ever really watched was this.
3: I kind
0: of remember when they came out with this show having that dismissive idea of, well, you know, when I was a kid, we watched Are You Afraid of the Dark? And this is just a rip-off of that. But (laughs) I can't... As someone who didn't ever watch it, I can't speak to that. And the books were really popular. So what you're
1: saying is we'll have to watch some Goosebumps At some point, we'll
0: have to check Check out out. some Goosebumps, I think. So, yeah. um, Without further ado, we're going to present you... Four episodes around the campfire in the tradition of the Midnight Society but before we do I want to warn you that we are going full spoilers for these episodes so if you have not seen any of are you afraid of the dark and you don't want these episodes spoiled there are a few ways you can track down episodes it's a little tricky but one of the ways is if you are outside the US are you afraid of the dark has a YouTube channel and you can watch episodes for free. If you're within the US, the content is blocked because of copyright law, I'm guessing. Um, there you know, might be some ways around that. I'm not gonna get into that. But you could also rent specific episodes through YouTube or you can rent through Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime also has an add-on channel option for streaming called Nick Hits, which has a selection of Honestly, most of the episodes are available through this. It's a You can do a seven-day free trial. Oh, and I recommend binging the episodes and then cutting off the service because it's not a particularly great one. If you have a lot of nostalgia for Nickelodeon in the early 90s, you're going to find some things to enjoy. They've got... Uh, Doug. They've got Rugrats. They've got Clarissa explains it all. Um, They do not have Pete and Pete though, so that's a big red strike against them. But they have most of the first five seasons of Are You Afraid of the Dark available, with some missing, which is really annoying. And they are not in any kind of order. They're just there. They're calling them seasons, but it's like a mishmash of whatever they threw together in like a weird collection. So that's kind of frustrating some of the episodes are available to stream for free on a site called daily motion, which is kind of similar to YouTube, but it has a lot of pop-ups and is kind of spammy. So if you're going to go that route, I recommend having a good ad blocker on your computer or whatever device you choose to watch with. Or if you're a local Portlander, you can rent seasons one through four from movie madness, which is our local video store. Movie madness is, closed for in-store browsing, but during this time, you can, if you're a member, request whatever videos you're looking for and do contactless pickup, which is awesome. So if you're local and you're listening, support Movie Madness and take a drink.
1: (laughs) And if you're listening to this multiple years from now, you can get a drone to drone.
0: Yeah, because that's going to happen. So... There are a few ways you can watch unfortunately this great show is one that you're gonna have to hunt a little bit to find and there'll be spoilers ahead so good luck or maybe like us enough to just hear us talk about some spooky shows so all right so for the first one not from the very first season premiere but for basically a teaser Halloween special episode submitted for the approval of the Davenport Society I bring you season 1 episode 4 The Tale of the Twisted Claw The Tale of the Twisted Claw stars Noah Planer as Dougie Freeman and Maxwell Medeiros as Kevin and we have our Midnight Society cast. We have Nathaniel Moreau as David, Rachel Blanchard as Kristen, Jason Elisharin as Frank, Ross Hull as Gary, Rain Parick Cole. Sorry if I'm botching these names, guys. Betty Ann as Betty Ann, Jody Wrestler as Kiki, and Jacob Tierney as Eric. These, the cast of the Midnight Society changes throughout the seasons. But this is the cast for most of the beginning episodes. So we have our core Midnight Society group, David, Kristen, Frank, Gary, who's pretty much the leader of the group, Betty Ann, Kiki, and Eric. And the reason why who's telling the story is important, particularly for this episode, is because this episode opens with Eric telling a story. But we don't know that he's telling a story yet. We just see a boy who's being menaced by a black hooded figure in his bedroom. And then he wakes up like it's from a nightmare. And then he finds the black hooded figure is in his room standing next to him and he screams. And then we cut to girls around the campfire screaming while Eric is finishing up the story and they ask what happens next. And Eric says, well, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure what I wanted to do with the rest of the story. So he leaves it as a cliffhanger And the group, the Midnight Society, is disappointed because they've all gathered to hear ghost story because that's what they do. They gather around and they share stories. And they got half a story this time. So David jumps in and says that he has a story he's been working on that he thinks is ready. So he submits it to the Midnight Society and it's the Tale of the Twisted Claw. So the Tale of the Twisted Claw is about Kevin and Dougie who are two friends who are out the night before Halloween, which is known as mischief night in some places. And they decide to go harass this woman who's known as sort of like the local witch and the local witch house. You know, it's that creepy house down the street that everyone's afraid to go to. So they go to her house and they knock on the door. And when she answers, they get her in the face with shaving cream, which causes her to back up and knock over an expensive vase.
2: A dick it's totally yeah, th- a dick Those crew. kids are such little jerks.
0: Yes. So they end up taking off and running away but they come back the next night for Halloween to prove what little badasses they are by not being afraid. Well I believe Dougie is, is hesitant but Kevin's like no we gotta go or I can't remember which, which <laughs> no, little boy. Is it the other way around? Dougie's the one wearing the, the crazy mask. And Kevin's the one dressed like the hobo. Is Kevin the one? Oh.
1: Yeah, so okay. Kevin. Yeah, Kevin's the
4: one. That's...
0: Kevin's dressed like a hobo, and and Dougie makes a crack that, like, you wear that costume every Halloween, and he says, well, the candy's the same every year. So... I don't
2: know anybody like
0: that. <laughs> anyway. There's,
2: there's um. also a, a wonderful line when they're talking about going back to the witch's house, and one of them says, are you bent? And I just, <laughs> it's such a good turn of phrase. <laughs>
3: I wrote that down, too, because I just thought that was such a, like, what a wonderful and dated thing that we don't hear anymore. <laughs> also, the, the dressing up as, like, a quote-unquote bum for Halloween, like, what an iconic staple of 90s childhood. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, so anyway, they, they go and knock on her door, and she answers, and she says that they're the only kids who've been brave enough to come to her house for Halloween this year so she wants to give them something special and that something special is in this little box and she opens it up and it's what she says is a vulture claw and that really creeps the boys out and she says, well no it's just wood you know carved to look like a claw but she said that it will grant them three wishes and she says be careful what you wish for because you just might get it and the boys proceed to make some wishes and this is basically your classic monkey's paw tale um the monkey's paw story has been around for a long time I'm not sure when the first iteration of it is but um you see it in a lot of horror anthologies it's a pretty popular thing it's been written in some short stories and I think the first the first version of it I saw was this version but I've seen uh, I think it was in one of the um The either the Hammer or Amicus anthology movies, there's definitely a really good monkey's paw version where somebody wishes a dead son back to life and it has gruesome results. And usually that's kind of how these stories go. So the boys proceed to make wishes. One of them starts with Dougie saying that I wish we didn't have to trick or treat anymore, that we're done, we go home. And every time somebody makes a wish, the claw moves in that person's hand. And so Right after he makes the wish, the claw moves, and then lo and behold, a group of teenagers and some masks that look like they're straight out of the purge come and harass these kids and take away candy from. I can remember which boy loses their bag of candy, but they. So one of them loses their candy, and Kevin says, Oh, well, you got your wish. You know, now we're done trick or treating. And then the next day at school, Kevin decides that he wants to win uh, the 600 meter dash. For the school uh, track meet and because he's like obsessed with this popular preppy kid and he's just like oh well I have to you know have I to be-. beat him but he's this other kid the kid that always wins is probably about a foot taller than Kevin but Kevin's obsessed with winning so he he uses the claw intentionally this time and he basically jinxes this kid Bostic and Bostic is running af- ahead of him and a dog comes out of nowhere and trips well, it comes Bostic. out of a
1: tree. <laughs>
0: yeah, basically. You see this tree growling. <laughs> you hear it growling, and you're like, see this shot of this tree. And then this dog comes out, and it runs in front of Bostic right as he's about to finish. And he breaks his leg, and so that's how Kevin ends up winning. And then the boys start to get freaked out, especially Dougie. He's nervous about the claw. He thinks they should return it, and they're at home. And we have you know, them fighting and Kevin yells something about like, I wish you'd just lose your parents. And then there's an ominous phone ring and then it turns out, oh, Dougie's parents have been in an accident. And then Dougie has the claw and Dougie says, I wish my grandpa was here. He'd know what to do. <laughs> and then retreated. And that, when I was a kid, freaked me out. I think 11-year-old me was just like, oh, that is bad. And we see grandpa's car pulling up the street.
4: Because
1: Grandpa's dead.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's implied that Dr- Grandpa's coming to the door, and then finally, um, big in a in a big scuffle for the mm-hmm. the claw. Dougie wishes that none of this had ever happened. That they hadn't broken the vase, and they had, you know, and that all everything was back to the way it was.
4: hmm
0: And everything pretty much goes back to normal, which is lucky for them, because. Yeah. They everything
1: usually the monkeys paw story doesn't end that well. They're
0: still a little bit nervous that well, this is a kid's show. But they're still a little nervous that grandpa might still be out there, undead grandpa. Right. And and so they hear a knock on the door and they're afraid to answer the door and they and they open the door and the original vase but they caused the woman to break at the beginning of the episode is sitting on the doorstep with a note that says trick or treat. So, the tale of the twisted claw, guys.
4: Mm-hmm. That was a good
0: one. Do you wanna? Do you guys have things to add, or you wanna discuss?
3: Um. Well, I wanted to. Mention... Why does she give them the vase back? Yeah, okay. I don't
0: get why they get the vase.
3: Oh, because yeah.
2: because it's it, they know very clearly that that's like the symbol of them setting this whole chain of events in motion, and them seeing mm-hmm. that the vase has been returned whole, you know, means that everything has basically been undone. I think.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true.
3: Yeah, I kind of the, feel like the everything witches let, let him go. Kevin's fault. Oh, sorry, true. Sorry, what was that Val? I said I feel like everything was Kevin's fault, and Dougie didn't really want to do it, but Kevin's kind of a jerk. He's like, oh that's... yeah,
0: Kevin is a jerk.
3: Yeah, Kevin's the one who makes all kinds of like rash, terrible wishes, like you know, menacing that good at running kid. And trying to like <laughs> okay. literally murder Dougie's parents, like yeah. Kevin's some right. bad friend. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's it's Bostic, man. Nobody beats Bostic.
3: Nobody beats Bostic. Just let him have this. Also, I I like laugh out loud at field day because that's when they're doing this running event. Because I remember field day being like a really harrowing event in elementary school.
0: <laughs>
1: oh yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, and uh, Kevin on, on Halloween night makes a comment as trick-or-treaters have come to the door that some of the candy's poisoned this year. Oh, yeah, I love that. The kids are freaking out.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, Kevin's a little dick. Yep. <laughs> um, so, the Monkey's Paw story, the original is by W.W. Jacobs.
4: Oh, cool. It was
1: a short story in a collection called The Lady of the Bard and it was from 1902. Oh. Yeah, and that's
2: and that's yeah. the original story where a a son dies in a tragic accident as a consequence of a monkey paw wish and then he supposedly comes back to life at the end.
0: Mhm. Yeah. So this was this was my I picked this one because this was my introduction to this series and it was at a time in my life where I'd already been reading those story compilations and things like scary, scary tales to tell in the dark, or is it scary stories to tell in the dark? I'm sorry, I don't have that in front of me.
4: Dark, and
0: sometimes yeah. I, sometimes I bosh the title of things. But, you know, it was just, I was one of those kids that, you know, I went from reading the banicula series to that, and I would look through the library shelves for anything spooky or supernatural. And I remember... I watched a lot of Nickelodeon at this point in my life, and I remember seeing the ads for this and just being like, "Ooh, that that is for me." And I loved it. And then I, you know, definitely watched several more episodes after that. And it was funny because I couldn't before we revisited this series for this episode. I couldn't remember off the top of my head that many episodes. I remembered this one, and there's a, a scary clown one, and um, there's one with the dollhouse, and a couple others that like off the top of my head that i remember but then while re-watching this i was like oh yeah i remember watching this one and and it was just it was funny i guess i'd watched a lot more of these than i remembered but it was fun to revisit hmm.
2: i have a a couple of notes mostly relating to the um the field day scene because there's a couple of things that just jumped out at me as being kind of hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. they're, um, as they're doing the race, there are a couple of shots of a, a tree that has a snarling sound. And it's, yeah, you know, right. A, a few cuts later, it's revealed that there's a dog hiding behind the tree. But at first, it's, it's just these random shots of a growling oak tree. And <laughs> it just, um... The,
1: yeah, I feel like the dog comes out of the tree, maybe? Yes. And then also, like, it's a vicious... Dog, It's not even like a breed that's a vicious breed. No. It's like a dog you should put a bandana on, you know? Yeah. Call him Flash or something.
0: Somebody threw that dog a Frisbee. Right. He was running for a
1: Frisbee probably. It just happened to be in the way. And like the dog doesn't attack the kid, which is the first thing that pops to your mind. The dog just runs in front of the kid and trips him.
2: Yes. So the kid just trips over this dog, which which brings me to my next point. There is a slow-motion cut to whatever the the, the friend's name is. Is it Dougie, I think? Um, Dougie. Dougie Dougie. is the little
3: little weenie friend. Yeah,
2: and he says, (laughs) no.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) And and then also, Kevin not only, like, bypasses to win the race, doesn't he jump over Bossic? He does. Bossic is is on the ground, and
0: Kevin... (laughs) Yeah, Kevin leaps over him.
1: And does he later become, when he grows up, Mr. Boombostick?
0: No.
3: (laughs) The whole, like, dog thing during the 600 race or whatever it is these child athletes are competing in was so confusing. (laughs) Like, why did the vulture's claw manifest a dog from a tree and then the like, it seemed like Kevin didn't even see the dog either. Right. Like, it just kind of came out. And then, like, oh, my God, Bostick is on the ground, and he's just cradling his knee. And Dougie's like, is he all right? And the coach is like, yeah, if you call a broken leg all right. Like, what is happening in this world?
0: Because <laughs> you can tell by looking. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you can tell by looking, but not in this kid's show where we're not doing a lot of gore.
1: Right. Um, yeah I, Like, there's so many other things you could use as a plot point to break the kid's leg, you know?
0: Or not break his leg, but, like, have him fall, sure.
3: you know? why, why couldn't he just, like, trip like yeah. normal like why does he have to trip over uh, like obviously the dog like is a, a an omen of a greater power and so that's like you know for our benefit to viewers right. in case can't figure out that the the claw has dangerous consequences so <laughs> just like is that dog gonna eat that kid like what is happening and then he just he just trips. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Well, and I, and I have to say that the, the monkey's paw in this doesn't seem to have, or the vulture's claw, doesn't seem to have consequences that are negative for the kids specifically most of the time. All right. Like, when he wants to win that race, it's, you know, it's just Bostwick who, you know, who kind of gets the shit into that deal. Right.
1: Um, and also, because of that, Kevin doesn't really care.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kevin's like, like All
1: right, he, so. he broke his leg. Big deal. Yeah, he,
2: he suffers problem. literally no consequences for cheating to win that race.
4: Yeah.
3: Well,
0: he also seems not that concerned that he may have just doomed Dougie's parents to die in a car accident.
3: To die? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I. Oh my god. Okay. So the scene when they're like going over like what to do about like the metal and the vulture's claw, and they just keep like Dougie's like, but my folks. How do I tell my folks? I want them to know I did the right thing. <laughs> and I just, just laughing so hard, because he just says the phrase, my folks, a lot. Yeah. When he's done screaming about his folks, because Kevin has murdered them, he's like, I wish Gramps were here. (laughs) (laughs) None of these characters have names.
2: Yeah, and then another thing that puzzled me is, they make like a fifth wish, after the claws have all been used up, and that's the... That they wish they'd never used the claw at all, and that apparently counts as an extra wish?
0: Well, well no. Each, they get three each. Each kid gets three. Oh, so okay.
2: I misunderstood. At the
0: end, when they're fighting, towards the end, when they're fighting over the claw, either one of them could have made a wish, and the other one would still have a wish left. Mm-hmm. But because the one kid, I believe it was Dougie, who wished that. You know, he—he's the one that wants to return the claw. Right. Um, he says, you know, none of this ever should have happened. We shouldn't have done what we—what we did to—I believe the woman's name is Mrs. Clove or Miss Clove. Anyway, they never should have harassed the poor older woman. And I also thought. I love that she has a maniacal cackle. She has
2: a great when, laugh. That's true. And
0: I, just, when I told Drew we were watching us, like, yeah, these are my older lady goals. Just <laughs> have the neighborhood kids be afraid of me and think that I have supernatural powers. Definitely.
3: That's my current lady goal. Like, I'm, I'm trying to cultivate that every day.
1: Right. <laughs> you got to get some kids for next door neighbors first.
3: Oh, yeah, I got it. I'm got I'm trying to move into, like, a more densely residential area just so I have, like, more children to sort of menace.
0: <laughs> you could just come to our house. There's all kinds of kids in our neighborhood. And they're expanding the park, so we're going to have more. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Yes.
1: We need help menacing the children. We'll
0: build you a makeshift porch, and you can sit in our rocking chair and, and eye <laughs> everyone suspiciously.
4: Absolutely.
1: We'll do that. <laughs> yes. While wearing an afghan and sipping tea.
3: Under my afghan will be a gun, like that old lady in To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry to derail us so early.
0: No, no, not a problem. Um, I want to pause for just a sec because we did not plug our computer in, so we have to grab the charger. <laughs> <laughs> and plugged in because we're at like half power
1: half capacity so, yeah all right
0: you're
1: gonna run and grab that yeah
0: i'm gonna run and grab that i'll be really quick you guys
1: so who's up next
0: lots
1: of editing
2: to do andy's andy. up next uh, it's
3: me andy's up next
1: with the tale of
0: dark... it's
3: andy
1: yeah
2: it's andy who i i did not know the main character's name was andy going into this
3: um i left so hard. I was like, every single, every single thing we do has the character named Andy that we cover.
2: Yep. Uh, so this episode, the tale of D- the dark music, the dark music. Yes. The tale of the dark music, uh, is a fun little episode that was written by Chloe Brown and directed by Ron Oliver, who are, um, frequent, make frequent appearances on this. Um, the original air date for this was also Halloween in 1992. And it stars Jacob Tierney as Eric, the storyteller, who's the, uh, the little red-headed kid who's kind of a brat. Um, Graham Selkick as Andy Carr, the protagonist. Uh, Leif Anderson as Coda, a metal-headed kind of <laughs> bully teenager who lives next door. Um, and. I guess we'll begin. So submitted for the approval of the Davenport Society, the tale of the dark music. In this episode, uh, Andy's family has recently inherited a house from a mysterious, rich, dead uncle that Andy's mom did not remember that she even had. So you know, instead of having to live in a crappy little apartment and do her apparently single mother thing, because they their family has recently been divorced um they get this nice house that was left to her um nobody knows much about the uncle he's kind of a weird fellow um lots of rumors about him nobody knows how he made his fortune um but eventually he just got old and died and that's where they get their house um let's see here Uh, as the story goes on as they're doing kind of moving in activities uh chores around the house and things like that when andy goes downstairs and he's trying to i forget what he's first trying to do he's trying to fix the lighting or something um or see his mom is fussing with some vertical
3: blinds and he's looking for a ladder
2: yeah ladder that's it um
4: -hmm.
2: so he goes down there and plugs in an old timey radio and uh when the radio starts to play music uh Something happens uh, To a door directly behind him It starts rattling, and you see some eerie light Coming out of it, and the hinge on the door The um, the latch on it, unlocks And the door opens, and you see What is probably the creepiest thing in the whole episode But you see a pair of glowing red eyes in the darkness Behind him, beckoning him to come in And uh, <laughs> He is uh, Understandably a little upset by this And it zooms in fast on the, the monster And it makes a roar, and uh, he runs out of there Pretty quickly, um, destroying The old timey radio in the process um so something's up in that basement you know does it have something to do with what the uncle died of who knows Um, but something's definitely going on down there Um, but i saw the uncles um when he tells his mom about this they come back down and she points out that it's just a root cellar it's fine there's nothing in here it's okay it's an empty room um and i was reminded um very powerfully of the glory hole from our ghost episode (laughs) I don't know if that was just me, but... Whew. Well, let's see. In between all this, um, Andy runs into some trouble with Coda, the bully, who does not have a good home life himself. You kind of have to feel for this kid, because his dad seems like a jerk. Um, but, you know, it kind of...
1: like the part of his surroundings.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, not, he's not a, you know... He didn't want to be evil, like those teenagers in the first episode were. They, um... He's, he seems to be more a victim of his own circumstance. Um,
0: he's not a Kevin. <laughs>
2: no, he's not a Kevin. Uh, but as uh, Andy is trying to work on his paper route, which he does so he can buy lunch at school um, and, you know, try and help his mom out with the costs of everything, um, he runs into Coda, who bullies him. He kind of tosses him off the bike and tells him he's going to beat the crap out of him. Um, Andy accidentally knocks a like a bucket full of soapy water onto Coda's head somehow uh, by throwing a newspaper at the door Um, and Coda chases him into the cellar again. And this time Andy gets in from the outside, uh, the kind of horizontal doors that you see, like what what are those doors called to go down to the root cellar? It's like storm
0: doors. It's like for... Like if a tornado, like if a tornado comes, I don't know. I always see in movies when there's a tornado, that's the door. People open up to duck inside because the front door isn't going to cut it. Yeah, to the basement. These
2: low angled doors into
1: the into the basement. Yeah, Um, you need a direct line to the basement.
2: Yep. So he gets uh, he gets in there, um, and I forget now the how does the music start the second time? He like does he just turn the radio on while he's down there? Um,
0: yeah he's like at that age where you're wanting to listen to your tunes and he's he goes down downstairs to do laundry or something every time he's doing a chore that he's asked to do downstairs or if he's hanging out downstairs he flicks on the
2: radio-hmm yeah so the second time uh, the radio comes on he's approached by a doll um, and it's it, it startled me. <laughs> so actually. creepy. Yeah, it startled me actually a little bit because the, you know, one scene you see the door rattling and it cuts to Andy and he's like, oh God, what's going on here? And then it cuts to right behind him and there's just this creepy ass doll right there. Um, I specifically have written down, fuck that doll.
1: <laughs> well,
4: it's not.
3: Uh, oh, yeah, just... I wrote down. Oh, sorry.
1: Oh, I was just saying, it's not like it's a doll, like a little kid's doll. It is a full size adult with a doll mask on and creepy doll hand gloves on. <laughs> and it, It's pure nightmare fuel. Yeah.
2: Yes, and it, yeah. and, it's, and it kind of entrances him. So he doesn't know that he's, you know, he's, he's got the whammy put on him. But something, I, I believe his mom turns the power off upstairs or something and that kills the music and the doll is sucked back into the darkness of the root cellar and uh andy doesn't realize quite what's happened he's like what what's going on his mom's like are you okay and he's like yeah i think so um and he just leaves without really realizing that anything's happened um i may have told this a little out of order because i think the last time is when he's chased into the basement and he figures out that it's music um he trips over something and turns the radio on and there's a carnival barker in the (laughs) uh in the root cellar this time and that's the the third apparition that he sees that tries to entrance him into coming to the root cellar and it as he's reaching for the carnival barker's hand so he can go on this evil carnival um it turns into a skeleton that starts just laughing (laughs) maniacally at him in just the best (laughs) way possible um and I
0: have to say that anytime I saw an ad for the circus, I think in my head that's what I thought was going to happen to me because I thought the circus was creepy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: it <laughs> there's a, there's a lot to unpack with that carnival barker and just some of the weirdness going on in, in the background. <laughs> um but he escapes um and he figures out that it's the music that is uh, for some reason, summoning this evil apparition in the root cellar. Um, so what he does, he thinks he's going to get you know play a little prank on the bully Coda and lures him. He, he he throws what seems like kind of a dangerous thing to do. He wraps a piece of a two x four in a newspaper and then throws it at Coda's head um,
4: right. to,
2: to get him all riled up. So he chases him. And he, well, there is a
1: a quick key point that comes in later is that Coda the bully uh, throws his bike under a garbage truck as it's does. going by. At one he,
2: time. he wrecks up his nice bike that he uses to run the paper route.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is why Andy decides to get back at him.
1: Yes. With a two By, by like murdering newspaper. him. <laughs> hey, whoa! Spoiler. But
3: it's not a proportionate. <laughs> re- I'm sorry. It's not a proportionate response.
2: Please <laughs> continue. Well, it's it's obvious. So he lures Coda into the basement and turns the music on very loud. And um, yeah, I, I thought that that was unnecessary because it's been shown that regular music will do the trick. Um,
4: we, we're treated
2: to an earlier scene of him kind of MacGyvering a, a big old sound system into the basement. <laughs> um yeah and so he turns on some loud rock and roll music and we hear coda screaming and then silence and andy turns off the rock music and is like hey coda you, you learned your lesson huh you're not gonna bully me anymore right then he uh wanders down there to find that there is no coda and that the uh force in the root cellar now speaks to him in the same demonic voice that originally beckoned him in with the red eyes and he says, I'll give you anything you want. There's a brand new bicycle here for you. And there's this nice bike that he discovers there. Um, and he says, I, anything. I can do anything, just like I did for your uncle. And what uh, he says, all you have to do is feed me. And, you know, at first, Andy looks a little bit horrified. He's like, whoa, oh, crap. This is not good. I'm not going to deal with this. But then he hears his uh, his little sister come home, who has been established as being kind of a bratty character. Um and she demands that he make her dinner or else he's really going to catch hell from mom so you know he better come up here and do what she says and he gets this um it's not a benevolent look on his face (laughs) (laughs) and that's the end of the episode yeah
4: Yeah.
0: and then they say they mention around the campfire story because one of the girls says he didn't feed his sister to the creature and they said, Oh no, he she just got a good scare but I think <laughs> I think Andy fed the sister to the demon. I think the first time he fed the boy next door, I think he had just intended to scare him. I yeah. don't think he knew
1: right. what would
0: happen. But
1: but he's not too broken up over it when he no. finds out that the no, bully just not. got, like, zapped into a different dimension.
0: It's, it's kind of similar to, like, if you ever saw the movie Christine, mm-hmm. the boy who owns the car, Christine, in, the, in that story, he... Well, or, or read the book, you know, because it definitely was a book first. But if, in that story, the boy becomes really in mesh car, or, you know kinda of like his genie, like it's making his life better, so he thinks but it's coming at the cost of other people and anybody who torments or bullies him or stands in the way of the car or the car feels threatened by gets munched. Mm-hmm. So it's kinda of like that, I think, you know, he just decides, Oh, I'm gonna or, or like the plant in Little Shop of Horror. Yep. You know?
2: Exactly. Um but you know his his uncle lived to a ripe old age, so maybe this maybe this demon's on the level. You know, as long as you sacrifice people and keep it fed, it's not going to mess with you. It'll just give you riches.
1: Yeah, how often do you gotta feed it? I wonder. Like, how did the uncle never get caught?
0: Or maybe he just has to feed it when he wants something. Because it sounds like like the neighbors didn't like the uncle, but it doesn't. No one ever accused the uncle of doing anything. to neighborhood children or pets or anything yeah it doesn't sound like or we don't get that much backstory but also and also it's a short story so you don't get a lot of backstory but you hear that he hardly ever left his house but that he was really wealthy Mm -hmm. so he was feeding somebody to the demon yeah i'm assuming it's a demon also
3: the mom just casually mentions that they like she. We kind of lapsed it off when she talks about, like, the the basement being weird and how they just, like, found, someone found the uncle down there, and I'm just like, what? Yeah,
1: that's where the uncle died, in the basement.
3: Yeah. Right. Like, I sort of got the vibe that, like, after they introduced the basement root cellar demon, that, you know, if demon doesn't get fed, the demon will feed itself in whatever way it sees fit. Um, So I feel like the uncle paid the ultimate price um, but and, yeah, I was that, just that like, what, be... what a weird way to just like, yes.
2: Continue. Yeah, go ahead, though.
3: <laughs> no, you, you were, you were saying something. Oh, sorry.
2: Um, yeah, I was just saying that, yeah, maybe he, uh, maybe Andy is, you know, on the docket for a, a dark fate too, in that case. Um.
5: Oh,
4: probably. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
2: And that's, that's why I actually picked this episode is because this episode was one of the ones as I was researching what to watch, um. This one is one of the few episodes in the series that has a either dark or uh, ambiguous ending, and it's definitely it's definitely a bit on the darker side, which I liked. I think I think kids ought to I have a little bit of I that really every now this and again.
4: Um,
0: I also got a kick out of the fact that you picked an episode where the main character's name is Andy and he has a little sister who has a haircut that Val had at that age.
2: <laughs> I'm not projecting a anything, I swear.
3: That. <laughs> You'll have to try harder than that to kill me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if Andy ever asks you to go down to the basement, not that any of us have a basement at this point in our lives, but if that ever happens, don't do it, (laughs) Val. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and one of the last things I wanted to mention is that because my narration of the story is a little bit out of order and there's some of the bully scenes missing, but there is just, just a really quality bullying scene where Coda punches Andy not once but twice and it just it's it's not yeah. convincing yeah. I'll put it that way.
4: No, <laughs>
1: There's a lot of odd camera angles too in this episode. Mm-hmm.
0: I loved Andy's expressions like the kid who played Andy whenever something was happening his facial expressions were great. They were kind of not believable yeah it is but but it's a kids show you know i mean it's just like your your target audience is is a group, age group that was just recently and also probably is still watching a lot of cartoons so there's a bit of a cartoon vibe mm-hmm. and also you have kids acting and so it's just, i i enjoyed it i thought i was like this is silly in parts but i i really really dig it at the same
2: time yeah no it's, it's it's a lot of fun and and honestly you know in both these episodes I'm, I'm impressed by the child actors because you know they're definitely child actors but they're not bad at what they do
0: no no not at
3: all
2: um and uh one other thing i wanted to point out that i just thought was funny they happen to live at house number 420 so you know i, I
3: noticed that <laughs> <laughs> Nice.
2: Yep. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was just coincidence. Yeah, had to be. Of course, you know, not not that it was filmed in Canada or anything, right? <laughs> oh,
0: but yeah, that Canada and the Nike.
2: That is my tale, the tale of the dark music.
3: Well, thank you. It's Andy. really more, yeah, it's really more the tale of like like forbidden electricity. Because <laughs> like at first I thought the radio was going to be haunted, but it's just like any damn radio that you plug in down there.
4: Yeah, that demon just wants to have some
3: tunes,
2: you know? He just wants something to listen to. Yeah, (laughs)
3: right?
2: I believe it's uh, now Drew's turn.
4: Yes.
1: Alright, so... uh, The episode I did, I chose because it was good fun, some art background, and also had Jewel State in it. Um, There's a lot of there's, there's a few episodes that have celebrities and stuff in it. And a lot of the kids that acted uh, later became other things. We haven't really touched on that much yet. Um, one of the original kids, she's in um, Flight of the Concords and a few other things. But uh,
0: Oh, one of the Midnight Society? Yeah,
1: one of the Midnight Society. The oh, first
3: Rachel wand. Blanchard. Yes. Yeah. She's he, in the TV show Clueless not the movie version.
1: Right. Yeah, the TV show Clueless. She's in a few things. She was in... Anyways, that was getting off the point there. But yeah, uh, Jewel State, um, she's actually in two episodes. And this is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I think she's probably in two episodes because she's a really good actress even back as a little kid. Mm -hmm. So anyways, without further ado, uh... (laughs) I give you season four, episode 11, submitted for the Davenport Society's approval, the tale of the unfinished painting. So in this story, we are given the tale is of this girl is just out in the park, you know, drawing a little thing. And we're told about how she, you know, she wants to be a real artist and everything. And she's got a nice sketch going of this tree and everything, but she's angry at it and scribbles it all out. And, like, (laughs) you get introduced to, like, her older brother character. I think his name was Cody or something. Was he the the older brother? Or she was Cody. He was Lucas.
2: yeah. I, I, I got, like, a boyfriend vibe from him, but I I have no idea. Honestly. I
3: honestly could not tell whether yeah. or not they were boyfriend or sibling. <laughs> uh,
4: I'm
0: pretty brother. sure his
1: older brother. It's her
0: brother. That's okay. driving
1: her around. Because she's, like, only, like, 13 or something at this time. Um, so, anyways, uh, older brother coming to check on what she's doing, and she's, like, telling him, like, how, like, doesn't matter that the drawing looked good they're just lines on paper unless they don't have soul to them you know and she needs to find soul in her work um which is i mean i get where she's coming from but still there's there's a lot (laughs) of technique is is also art so anyways she's uh sitting there in the park still trying to find the soul in her her art and a girl comes up to her just out of the blue doesn't really say much, and then she says, would you like me to draw you? (laughs) Because that's what you do. When you meet a random stranger and you're in a park, you just ask if they want you to draw them.
0: Um, I think she felt inspired by the little girl because she was feeling blocked.
1: Yeah, and so uh, the little girl then, after agreeing to be drawn, disappears when she looks back up again, leaving behind her hat, but then like she chases down this this uh, mysterious little girl into an art gallery of all places, and then while she's looking around through this art gallery and she's admiring all the work, um, all by a Mrs. Blair. It was Blair right? Um. Yeah.
0: I'm not sure.
1: Mrs. No Brier.
0: Mrs. Brier. Brier.
1: I got the R and the L mixed up. Um, by a Mrs. Brier and uh. She meets the mrs. Breyer of of this art gallery, and she says, "Did you see this little girl come through?" And of course, no, she didn't see her, but would you like to look around?" And you know, uh, so she's looking around and admiring the artwork, and she comes into a room of just unfinished paintings to which the woman tells her, That all these paintings were started by somebody but you know they lost inspiration on them for whatever reason and that uh if you would like because they had already conversed about her having problems getting her paintings and her art done you could finish one i find that it helps people with their artist block you know and so she agrees to that, and in the background, you see that there's another kind of art apprentice girl working on a painting, and that girl is trying to get an exact detail. So she goes and she grabs a new brush, a smaller brush than the one she was working with, to which the the gallery owner gets very upset and tells her, no, you have to use this brush because it's not the tools of the artist, it's the inspiration. That you know is is makes it good, so that's a little like little first little bit of creepiness you get to see from her, and then uh, later when when Cody Jewel is selecting a painting that speaks to her, speaks to her so much that she gets lost inside a dream world for a second from the painting, uh, the Mrs. Brier. Rare. Uh, she goes into her cabinet, which has a creepy-ass shrunken head in there. It was a mummy <laughs> head,
2: just straight up. Yeah,
1: like a mummy head, and a in an altar behind this cabinet, and a bunch of paintbrushes, to which she like curses a paintbrush with like a candle and like an incantation, I think, and then brings the paintbrush to Cody so that she can start work on finishing this painting and like snaps Cody out of her dream state that she was already in the painting kind of like this ballet scene she was gonna do this ballet Uh, then we get uh, multiple kind of shots of her just uh, working on it and how it's like been really helping her with her artist block and She's been doing all these sketches and preparing for finishing off this painting, but things are getting a little weird, like just the sense of the place, and... And uh, yeah, one of the other students disappears. Uh, right, because the you get this scene where the girl, I'm forgetting her name, the, the first one that we were introduced to... Uh, Jenna. Uh, yeah, Jenna. Jenna the girl that was already working on a painting finishes her painting to which mrs Brier says or briar i feel like that might be briar um she says well you know it's not finished until you sign it the little girl says well i can't sign it it's not technically my work which all the kids seem to be concerned about that i feel like kids wouldn't be too worried about that. These you are know.
2: artists, Drew. They, they have standards.
1: Yeah, very, very strict. Strict rules. Um, <laughs> anyways, so she convinces her that, well, you put all your passion and soul into this. She she talks very much about how much like, soul and their own spirit they put into these paintings when she talks about them. And so she convinces her to sign it. And after she signs it, she disappears into the painting, basically. Which is creepy. But, you know, you kind of saw that coming. Uh, So, yeah, so Cody has been, after snooping around a little bit and noticing that the other girl just has up and vanished, that she's starting to look at all these paintings. And, or no, she's looking for something. And goes into the cabinet and touches one of the paintbrushes in the cabinet and has like a flash vision of another girl in some kind of dream state that's warning her to go away and then uh, later on that's when she starts getting suspicious of things she calls brother up to come get her and she leaves the paintbrush in front of a painting because she sees a painting that resembles the crazy weird dream she just had of the girl after she touched the paintbrush. And so she then goes and like is trying to get away. But the, the misses the gallery owner, she comes back and says like, where are you going? She says, well, I was just, you know, leaving or whatever. Cause Well, I finished the painting, it's okay. And she says, oh, if you finish the painting, you should sign it. And of course, she also, a very serious artist, says, I can't sign somebody else's work. You get the speech about how now it's your work, it's your heart and soul going into it. Just sign the painting. And so she, not thinking, and probably just assuming what harm can come from signing a painting, I just got to get out of here signs the painting, and is now sucked into ballet world where she's dancing forever, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yet dancing forever with a paintbrush still in her hand.
0: It slightly reminded me of the ball scene in Labyrinth where the Goblin King has enchanted the little girl into being... Sarah into being in this like, beautiful fantasy world so she won't keep looking for her little brother Toby. Right. Yeah.
2: I was a little confused because I thought she didn't sign her own name. I thought she signed it Mrs. Briar. Uh- so
1: she signed it her own name and then every time someone signs their own name, it turns into Mrs. Briar's signature and then goes into the gallery. It's oh. like it.
0: Like, it's like she needs the artist to sign it so she can steal their essence
1: right it's like they're signing their soul away to the devil yeah exactly. okay and so she signs she signs it and it becomes the other signature and her soul gets taken into the painting for the collection uh, meanwhile the brother has shown up because he got a weird call or a weird voicemail I think that it was left on an answering machine Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, there's something creepy going on here, and please come get me as soon as you can. And he shows up, and all the woman can say is, oh, I don't know anyone named Cody. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not, you know, that's nothing to do with me. And so then he finds Cody's one of her many oversized coats. (laughs) In every scene, she's always wearing a giant oversized coat.
0: Or like a jacket or like a shirt with shoulder pads. Yeah, yeah she's got
1: just the back. biggest shoulders in this episode. She's got very, very midnight, early to mid-90s fashions going on. Um, and so then the brother, while he's running around trying to to save his sister, um, I forget how she gets away from him, but she like takes the painting That his sister was working on, and throws it in the dumpster and lights it on fire.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: So like, not only he's gonna destroy the evidence that she has done anything to his sister, but also is destroying his sister at the same time, her soul. Um, And so like, in the dream state where she's dancing for eternity, everything's starting to smoke. And she notices the paintbrush. I think she dropped it or something, but she gets it up and she breaks the paintbrush. And when she breaks the, breaks the paintbrush, she comes out of the dream state. How she was able to have the paintbrush in the dream state confuses me. But she did. Um, so she gets out and her soul's intact and she's back in her body and everything after breaking the paintbrush so then she realizes it's, it's the paintbrushes and they need to be broken and so she runs to the cabinet to collect all the paintbrushes and then possibly the scariest scene of the whole creepy story is the shrunken mummy head suddenly like comes to life <laughs> and yeah. starts yelling at her um, so yeah then she's Uh, her and the brother are like running away and the woman is menacing them and telling them that you know she has she's been doing this for centuries or whatever and she has to harvest souls for him because it's like the weird shrunken head is like some kind of evil demon deity or something that she has to harvest souls for and so Cody throws the paintbrushes into the burning fire, so I'm, I'm we're just led to assume that if breaking them works, obviously burning them will work, and then the, the evil head appears in the flames, <laughs> very angry, but like has been thwarted <laughs> and Jenna the girl we saw earlier is now back and she doesn't know where she's been. But she's the only one that's back. All the paintings in the gallery are now have like white sp- spots, unpainted spots where the faces were. So you think like all the rest of the souls are freed. But none of those souls like came back as kids anywhere. So I don't know if like those souls just are gone for good and they're in heaven now or something yeah or maybe, if, maybe they just get to go to heaven yeah or, Not if, explained. or if maybe possibly she'd been doing this in other places and maybe they return back to whatever place their soul was stolen oh that's, that's true
2: possible. yeah she she did or say she's been like, doing it for centuries popping up
1: in carrots and stuff yeah
2: Oh, that would be kind of startling, you know, if you were like a like a a, a French painter in the the seventeen hundreds, and you got your soul captured, and then suddenly you just you, right. know, you flip your back there, and it's nineteen
1: ninety five. Yeah, that would be that'd be pretty messed up.
0: Well, because she'd been doing this for hundreds of years. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's not not real. We're not sure how often she has to do this for this arrangement, and we're not sure.
1: It's one of the many How, stories they do that they don't really give you a full background on.
0: <laughs> well, it's, you know, a 20-minute episode. Yeah. But it would it would have been nice to know just a little bit more.
1: But it was a fun episode, and I'm a big fan of Jewel State and everything.
0: You want to talk about why? Because uh, some people might not know mainly, who that is. Uh,
1: she's from... My main thing she's from is Firefly, where she is the plucky... Uh, adorable mechanic
0: Kaylee Kaylee, who always says everything's shiny
1: all shiny, Captain
0: yeah, she's adorable in that Yeah. she also is in a really creepy episode of the X-Files where she plays a little girl that's abducted, that's a really upsetting episode, and we yeah. actually saw her we saw her speak at Wizard World what was that, three or four years ago? It was the year we met five Cassandra Peterson. Ago. Anyway, or yeah, it was ago. maybe I think it was like five years ago now. Gosh, I don't even know. Time time is just going. But <laughs> she she talked about that a little bit in her Q and A. She talked about her experiences with Firefly and some of the other work she's done. She was on Super the show Supernatural as well for a little bit. Um and she also she she was on the show Wonderfalls. She was in what they refer to people who liked uh, dead like me wonder falls and pushing daisies that's known as the Fullerverse because of the creator of of those series and she had a connection there and so she she's not in in dead like or not she's she's in dead like me for like a quick quick episode but she's not in um pushing daisies i don't think
2: no, sure no, she's she's not. she's not in that series. I'm pretty sure. But
0: yeah, she but she has a, a bigger part in Wonderfalls towards the end. But yeah, we just I don't know. I also like her. I think the first thing I ever saw her in because the episodes where she shows up in Are You Afraid of the Dark are from around the time that I wasn't really watching it anymore because we're getting into 1995. So I was heavily into my Tales from the Crypt phase. But she um she's a Canadian she's a Canadian actress and. The um, first, I think, five or six seasons of the X-Files were filmed in Vancouver, BC, and so they mm-hmm. used a lot of Canadian actors, and so there's a little bit of overlap from different shows that were in production. And so it makes sense that she would have been in the X-Files and that she was also on this show a couple times. And just a really talented child actress.
1: Yeah, she's very convincing for, I think, at the time of this episode, she was 12 or 13.
0: Yeah, and also oh.
3: adorable.
1: Yeah, and then she was in a previous episode called "The Watcher's Woods," where the Canadianness comes out multiple times in that episode because there's a lot of "I'm sorry's."
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a cute it's a cute episode. I like that one too because it involves kind of like a Girl Scout style camp, and well, we may have to talk about that at a future date. You know, I don't know as far as anybody else in this episode the. Guy who played the brother looked familiar to me, but um, he was played by Joel Keller, but he's not someone I recognize name wise. Well, I think
1: is the first episode I don't remember if the Andy episode, the dark music, if that one had the new cast care cast member Sam.
2: No, that was still Hello. in it was still I, in the first Joanna, season and yep. Sam was
1: not a member of the Midnight Society yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because they keep introducing new members.
0: Well, and they explain, they kind of just quickly explain that, oh, well, this kid and this kid moved away, which would happen, you know, if you had a little club in your neighborhood, people would move away sometimes. And so, they had replacement members, and so, um, Sam, Sam was one of the new members. So, we're trying to remember which, which Midnight Society member actually tells the story in for this one the oh painting.
1: it's uh the main the gary yeah the the because main guy with glasses originally it was going to be told by lucas and then lucas was
0: oh no it was, it was tucker tucker yeah tucker yeah
3: so T- tucker is gary's little brother yeah. and um, That's gary right. is trying to like Induct him into the society, but he can't think of one. So Gary is just like, "Do you mind if I take this from, uh, from you?" He's a good big brother about it.
1: That's right, Tucker. That's his name. I was quickly looking through notes, and Lucas was the doesn't, brother.
3: Doesn't Tucker?
0: The
1: episode.
0: I haven't seen any of these episodes yet, but doesn't Tucker end up becoming the leader of the Midnight Society when they do the later '90s revival? I think. I think I read that.
3: Yeah, Tucker and Gary are in the three-episode miniseries, The Tale of the Silver Sight, which was part of the 2000 revival.
0: Okay. Cool. Well, did anybody... Val, did you have any thoughts about this episode, the unfinished painting?
3: I was just going to say that um, Jewel State uh, was in one of my favorite uh, Disney Channel TV shows. Uh, around the same time and Ben Foster is in it so she's just like been acting in everything forever it was co- it was only on for a season and it was on called call. flash flash forward Oh god she was oh. flash forward Yeah she's Becca, Whoa. and Ben Foster is Tucker Yeah and what 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 a one season wonder yeah. of like teen programming it was um <laughs> And I just, like, as soon as I saw her face, I'm just like, I know her. But, again, I haven't seen Firefly, so no spoilers for me, because I do fully intend on watching it at some point during the pandemic.
2: (laughs) One Uh, one day, maybe 20 years from now. Some
3: day.
1: It's a pretty quick um, week's worth of binging. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I I could definitely, I could bust that out. Um, I really like this episode because it gave me some, like, really mild Suspiria vibes, like original Suspiria, where it's just yeah. like, like a, you know, prodigal young talent goes to mysterious art school for the devil, or, you know, some <laughs> approximation of that, makes lofty exchange of talent for souls, maybe. I, I really dug this episode. I thought it was very... Um, of the four that we watched, I thought this one was, it had like the most plot that I was just like, okay, this is, this is really getting somewhere like from point A to point B, like without, uh, hopping around too much. I really, I had a good time watching it. <laughs> it's
2: it's very dreamy in the same way that Suspiria is dreamy. Um, yeah, there's, th- there's yeah. A, th- yeah, there's a lot of like fuzzy effects in the camera where she's like not quite sure what's real. Um. And it, it does not, you know, it's it's focused solely on what the story is telling. Like, we have no idea where her family is or if she's supposed to be going to school or if it's summertime or what the hell is happening. We just know there's, this, there's some shady stuff happening with this painting.
3: I also like how, like, the apparition that she's following around is, like, a very, very 90s, like, blossom hat-wearing other teenage girl. Like, that's the person <laughs> that she's so struck by. She's like, I must paint you.
1: <laughs> that's her muse. <laughs> Would you like me to draw you?
3: Well, and I think, too, right? that
0: this, this actually, the this story, not literally couldn't happen, but kind of, it could be kind of an allegory for, sometimes artists go and work for other artists, and sometimes, you know, like you have an artist with, like, a name that's known and that brand, and they'll hire other artists to work under their brand under their name or brand whatever it is sometimes it happens in the comic book world they'll get like illustrators or ink and paint people to come in and do stuff and they're not they don't really get the recognition or kind of like how if you're a disney imagineer you maybe design something and it's your style but it's under the name disney and so there's kind of like a weird you know and it happens in smaller scale too but there's this kind of a weird believability of how somebody who's young and eager to learn and express themselves could be taken advantage of by an older person with sinister designs sure use yeah their that talents. happens all the time
1: use their talents and give them no credit and no pay really
0: yeah yeah oh you get experience an, an it's ex- we pay you an ex- experience
1: and exposure don't forget exposure
0: oh yeah oh yeah See, you we're not going to put your name I on heard it heard that by. one <laughs> yep
1: anyway i think that's probably it for yeah, that episode
0: i think we're ready for our next tale
1: our final
4: tale
3: our final tale all right so for my submission to the davenport society uh i submit let's see the episode Three of season five which originally aired november 11th of 1995 so we're getting to the later part of the series the tale of station 109.1 in the narrative of the midnight society this is a submission story so someone is trying to enter the midnight society and his name is stig and he is trying to enter the midnight society and so this is what he this is actually his second attempt since his first attempt was not accepted and so he is being inducted into society and he submits this story and he passes around a bunch of like boom boxes or maybe everyone everyone has boom boxes or like portable radios with them and he's I just like everyone told
1: them to bring them
3: Yeah, um, which I thought is great because, like, nothing is better than, like, high-maintenance performance art that demands a commitment from your audience, really engages them. Good job, Stig. So Stig has everyone tune these radios to their favorite stations, and they turn it on together, and it's just, like, a cacophony of sound. And then Stig gets really annoyed and then asks them to turn it off, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to tell my story now. Um, And Stig's story... Uh, he prefaces it by saying, "Every second, there are invisible radio signals, and they're playing all around us. And the and with those invisible signals, there's no way to notice like what's hidden in the static, like between the signals. And um, he's like, maybe the signals are coming from someplace you've never thought of, ooh, beyond the grave. And so we launch into the story, uh, which opens on." a very maudlin and melodramatic teenager laying... He's laid out as though he is being in a wake. Like, he's surrounded with funerary flowers, and he's kind of dressed up in black. And uh, then we hear a woman's voice calling and saying that dinner is ready, and he, like, wakes up. But, it's like, this kid is, like... He's clearly very dramatic, and he's pretending to be dead. And then at dinner... It's like, uh, it's him, the main character, Chris, who is played by an actor called Zachary Carlin, who I'd never heard of. Um, but Chris's brother, Jamie is played by a very young Ryan Gosling. (laughs) And so Chris and Jamie and their mother and father are all sitting at dinner together. And Chris is just like, like poking around his pile of mashed potatoes and asking what it would feel like to be buried alive and he's just being, like, we all remember that one weird death kid from elementary school, like, the kid who's just, like, walking around carrying dead bugs or something and he's that kid. He's just, like, obsessed with death. (laughs) Um, And so, Jamie, played by Ryan Gosling, thinks that Chris is super, super weird and so, Jamie in the next scene Jamie goes to his part-time job where he's talking with his coworker mentor friend who's a mechanic and they're like what should we what should we talk or like what should we do about my brother my brother has this like weird obsession with death, and apparently, the backstory for Chris's obsession with death is that he was playing a game of capture the flag in a graveyard, and now he can't stop talking about death. And that's a terrible origin story. It makes no sense, but we'll just, we'll just go with it. Why not? Um, but, so, these two, like, they're, they're mechanics, and so they're one of the cars they have in a shop is actually a hearse. And uh, so, Jamie decides, with the permission from Sid, to like snap Chris out of his weird funerary obsession by locking him in the hearse. And I'm I'm not really sure why he. It's unclear why they think that this is a good idea, but he decides to lock him in a hearse, and then. Um, Chris is at first like pretty excited and he's like asking questions like I wonder how many dead people have been in the hearse." um and then he crosses his arm and like lays down you know like in that that sort of mummy style and then the radio turns on and it starts blaring music and the horn starts honking and I don't know one of my fondest memories of childhood is uh, trying to get out of a car that I've been locked into because I had fallen asleep in it while my parents were grocery shopping, and then the car alarm goes off, and it's just, like, the most excruciating moment of embarrassment where you're, like, trapped in this car, and the alarm's going off, and it's all your fault, and you have no way of stopping it. So oh, that really man. hit home for me. And I was like, this is a horror story. I can't watch this anymore. Um, so... But the car, the car is blinking and the the wipers are going off and the radio is on and it's because uh, Jamie has hooked up the, the hearse to a car battery and so he's he's powering it. But Chris is freaking out because he thinks that the car is haunted. Um, but then you know Jamie cuts the power to the battery and turns off and it like turns off the engine I think. Um, and then Chris starts to like realize that Jamie is playing a joke on him and wants to be let out of the hearse but Jamie's having a really good time tormenting Chris so he doesn't let him out and tells him to you know calm down or else to like wake the dead or whatever um but then like the car is off at this point and this is where we get to like the whole crux of the story the radio comes on by itself and Chris hears a broadcast saying it's radio station 1091 for the dimensionally challenged (laughs) and then the dj says that the radio station is for people who are having trouble getting to where they're going and they need help crossing over and so all they have to do is listen to the radio station and help and the radio dj will help them get home and um You know, Chris is listening to this and he's like well that's super weird but also Jamie is having a a parallel paranormal experience where Jamie is walking to his house apart from Chris and he bumps into an elderly man and the old man is like can you help me get home and Jamie's like no go away Uh, but then he disappears and so it's pretty obvious that Jamie has encountered a ghost but doesn't realize it Um, and Chris comes home at a later point and it's evening now and the kitchen radio starts playing one oh nine one and the topic is death and dying and what's the next step. And so the the DJ says on the radio station that he'd like to um invite anyone who's listening to come to the station and see him if they have questions. And this is like Chris lights up with this invitation. He's like, I'm gonna go figure out what's up with this like spooky radio station but then uh ryan gosling comes in and changes the radio station before he can get more information about it because he's uh ryan gosling's character really likes a show a radio show called clark and ryan which he never misses and so he the idea of like so, yeah, the idea of having, like, a radio show that you're, like, a huge fan of, and you're like, I never miss my radio program at 4 p.m. in the afternoon on a school day, like, it just, it blows my mind, because I've never had an experience like that. Mm-hmm. I laugh pretty hard <laughs> you, at that. You've
0: never met a Bob and Tom in the morning fan? Oh,
4: jeez.
3: Apparently. <laughs> um, And so, Chris goes on to the internet, or some rudimentary canadian version of the internet from 1995 and he looks up um all the records of radio stations in his area and it says that 1091 isn't assigned to anything and so he checks for previous entries and he finds an address and i actually went to that website which is radiospace.com the north american network's radio space and it's a real website. It says oh, it's weird. the original internet source for radio content. Um, I tried to do a, like it's got COVID-19 related stuff and it's got a lot of uh, hyperlinks for AARP related stories. So I feel like it's kind <laughs> of a, a specific uh, demographic. Um, and I couldn't find anything about Oregon. I did it like a control find search and I couldn't find any Oregon news. So it might be for like a really specific area i it looks like a real fake website but it's real uh so if anyone if we want to put that in the show notes if anyone wants to take a gander at sure. radiospace.com yeah uh, like my browser let me know it's, yeah it's not <laughs> a secure website by any means so do with that what you will but he heads down to the station and there is a, a beetlejuice-esque bureaucratic waiting area for the recently deceased and everyone is standing in a line but Chris is like, I gotta get to the bottom of this and he he won, cuts in line but he apologizes and so I think that makes it okay. And then he (laughs) knocks on the window that says do not knock on the window he knocks on it to get the attention of the DJ and the DJ opens up and it's Gilbert Gottfried (laughs)
2: <laughs> and boy is it ever
3: yes. and is just shrill and he is screaming and he is screaming at this little boy being like can't you read it says don't knock on the window and then he reads the window out loud to him and is like what is your problem and I I was laughing so hard because I love Gilbert Gottfried so much he was like the reason I watched Hollywood Squares um <laughs> So then, uh, like, the the radio DJ, Gilbert Gottfried, is upset at Chris for, like, breaking bureaucracy, and he is upset at him for cutting in line, and then um, Chris apologizes, I think. I I can't fully remember what happened. But then he eventually gets invited into the DJ room, and the DJ slaps one of those slap bracelets that's, you know, like a, like a, a yard... What is it? A measuring tape? The ones that like wrap around your wrist when you slap mm-hmm. them. Yep. So he gets like a green slap bracelet and it won't come off and then the DJ's like that bracelet is your ticket into the next step. It'll like, you know, relieve you from your obligations to the physical world. You're going into the next life and this is your number. So you have to wear the bracelet until your number is called. And Chris is Horrified because he is like, I'm not dead. I'm just I was just curious. And now you can't send me to the next life because I'm not a dead person. But the radio DJ is insistent that he doesn't make mistakes. Like, why would you be here if you're not dead? Which is a super valid question. Um, and so Chris sees like some men or a man come in and the man is also insisting that like he's not in the right place like another like adult person and he is not ready to go to the afterlife and then like very stereotypical like grim reaper figures with black hoods and robes like haul him through these scary like art arty trash doors is how i i described them it's like spooky doors that are spray painted like a matte gray but there's like doll faces glued to them and I think it's supposed to be, like, the, the doors that... Yeah, like, they're scary garbage doors. Um, and he gets hauled through it, and it looks really scary. And then Chris is like, what happened to him? And Gilbert Gottfried says that if you if you lead a nasty life, you have a nasty afterlife. <laughs> and then it's just, like, he's just, like, grinning so hard while telling a horrified child that, it's like, if you were a crap person then you have like this to look forward to, like congratulations. It's so funny. Um, so- it, oh, sorry.
1: I was just gonna say that it, it would be helpful to the audience to know that Gilbert Godfrey does mention that in his past life, he worked for the DMV.
3: <laughs> I laugh at that because making jokes about the DMV is like, are there any adults watching? You get it, you understand what I'm talking about. I love nods to the DMV. Um, and so Chris runs home and no one can see him. And Ryan Gosling is talking on the phone about not missing Clark and Ryan. And he can't see his brother at all because he has the green snap bracelet on. And Chris realizes that he has to like, figure out how to get the bracelet off. Otherwise, he's going to get hauled into the afterlife. Um, so the DJ, he, he gets teleported back to the radio station slash waiting room to the afterlife and the DJ is super mad, but then, oh God, this is so Andy, you mentioned this. This is the part where Gilbert Gottfried is like making the announcement for the radio station. Bus, like asking people to like come to the station if they need trouble moving on mm-hmm. and he Gilbert Godfrey speaks in like this very low deep British accent that doesn't sound anything like him and is that his real voice?
4: <laughs> yeah it
1: is.
3: Is that how he actually sounds? Or is No he it's pretty- not how
1: he actually sounds but Gilbert Godfrey's actually really good at voices.
3: He okay.
1: used to do voices for um for the Clerks cartoon show like the the short run Clark's cartoon voice and he does a really good Jerry Seinfeld impersonation of all things.
0: Oh, nice.
1: <laughs> so like, on the Clark's cartoon whenever Jerry Seinfeld would be on for some reason it would be Gilbert Godfrey doing his voice.
3: Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, that's a really excellent part. Um, and so Chris is still trying to convey to the DJ that He's a little kid and it's not his time to die. But Gilbert Godfrey is like, listen, mistakes don't happen. Everyone comes in here and says the same thing. So it's like, you are not the first person to try and convince me that you're not supposed to be dead. Because everyone has their version of that story. Um, But then Chris realizes that it's 4 p.m. And so Clark and Ryan is on. And if he wants to get his brother's attention to come and rescue him, he has to... Take over the Clark and Ryan podcast. And so Jamie hears him and hears the explanation that he's at station 1091 and they think that he is a recently deceased man. And so they're trying to send him to the afterlife in the place of this recently deceased man, which happens to be the old man that Ryan Gosling's character bumps into immediately after locking Chris in the hearse in the first place. So. Ryan Gosling, the dead person who is lost, they try to get to station 1091 before it's too late. And Chris is also trying to escape in his own right. And Gilbert Gottfried gets like super fed up. He's like, Listen, I'm so tired of this. Uh, I'm going to set, I'm going to expedite you and send you through the doors right away. But just at that moment, um, Jamie and the man who was actually dead, who is a character named Daniel Carpenter, and I'm not really sure if that's important or not. But they arrive at the last minute, and then Gilbert Godfrey is like, "Oh, I guess I did make a mistake," and that's like all the penance we get from him. Like he's right. like, "Oh, oh well." Well, and no, then, so
1: that's. That's after yeah. he's already sent him through the doorway to the great beyond.
4: Oh, that that's great. Right. to he's
3: the other side.
2: Yeah, he totally kicks him, like, serious black style through that curtain. And, you know, for a second, you think that's it for that kid.
3: And then he gets rejected because it's not his time. Mm-hmm. So that's great. And then uh, the old man gets the snapped bracelet and he goes through... And his passage through the doors is like a really pleasant experience. And then Gilbert Gottfried is like, if you're a good person, you get a you get a good experience on the other side of the garbage doors. Um, <laughs> and. Okay then Chris and Jamie leave and they go home and then we see them again and it seems like Chris has made like a full recovery like he doesn't wear black anymore he's carrying some sort of stick bat around and he's wearing a baseball hat and he metaphorically lets a bug that he had locked in a jar at the beginning of the episode to see how long it would live locked in the jar he lets the bug go because he wants to have a good post garbage doors existence (laughs) <laughs> um, he goes off to, to play sport with his older brother. Um, and I'm sorry, it took me like a, like 30 minutes to explain the plot of that episode. <laughs> There's a lot there
0: to explain.
3: There's a lot to unpack, but mostly I, I chose this episode because I thought one of us had to choose the episode that had Ryan Gosling and Gilbert Gottfried in it. That, that like, was that's exactly what
2: I yeah. That was exactly my thinking when I when I looked at this episode. <laughs> oh wow, well, I really
0: want to do the dark
2: music one, but this one looks too good. So, yeah,
0: we were all on board for this one getting yeah. covered.
1: Basically, we all said that's our backup if somebody else doesn't choose that episode.
0: <laughs> I have to say, to I, I really want. Whenever somebody is refusing to wear a mask during the COVID epidemic, I really wish that Gilbert Godfrey would magically appear and then lecture them. Like he <laughs> I said see in this episode, sign. what with you? That so would make me so happy if he was just like a magical genie that would just appear, you know, in like hologram form, so no one could breathe on him and harm him, <laughs> and just tell uh, people how they suck for not wearing a mask. But also. As a kid growing up with, um, with USA Up All Night, which originally was hosted by Rhonda Shear, but then later by Gilbert Godfrey, I have so many good Gilbert Godfrey memories. He's great.
1: I love that Affleck Insurance fired Gilbert Godfrey for being Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> really? like Well, because... They like he, he was
4: the, he
1: just did the voice act.
5: Yeah, That's all
4: yeah, he did. The,
1: the and he got paid a lot of money for it and then like sometime later like he was a spokesperson for a long time and I think it was he told like a 911 joke or something that oh. got bad press. Oh, it they, like, for,
0: they dropped him. It wasn't for his version of the aristocrat? No, <laughs> <wasn't>.
1: <laughs> Or no, he it was the Aristocrats one came because of because of the 9-11 joke. Okay. Because that was at a oh, roast God. where, like, he did a 9-11 joke at the roast and it went over, like, like a, a, a lead, lead balloon. balloon of clothes. <laughs> I think it was, like, within a year oh, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. But sure. it's Gilbert Godfrey. That's right. what he does.
4: Good uh, lord.
1: <laughs> and so, like... He, he's like oh you don't like that well, let me tell you about the aristocr- aristocrat <laughs> oh, God. and like went into like one of the raunchiest horrible it's watch the movie it's a good movie
0: so one of the things Drew and I noticed while watching this episode that as soon as um as Ryan Gosling's character gets the idea to prank his little brother with the hearse he does like a double eyebrow raise like his <laughs> devious face <laughs> So funny, young Ryan Gosling just hamming it up. This episode is a lot of fun. I I really loved the Beetlejuice ripoff vibes because it was definitely inspired by Beetlejuice. And you got kind of you know the main characters kind of doing a a version of Lydia. My life is one dark room.
4: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I. Oh,
2: before it was made clear that he was the uh, the DJ because he, you know, he was using his Gilbert Gottfried voice and not the radio voice. I was mm-hmm. like, what is this guy? Is he, he's like a soul receptionist? Is he like a ghost caseworker from Beetlejuice? I don't know what this guy's angle is.
5: <laughs> he's the I wonder,
1: He runs I wonder, the DMV of the afterlife.
3: yeah so like if we get assigned bureaucratic positions based on the bureaucracy that we participated with in during our lives like am I actually going to be an afterlife caseworker because I'm a real life caseworker
0: I'm worried I'm just gonna be sent to a division where I am made to fold fitted sheets over and over again I feel like that's (laughs) a lower level of hell
3: I mean, if you're really good at folding fitted sheets, maybe you get like upgraded, like while you're alive, you're really good at folding fitted sheets. You get upgraded to flat sheets in the afterlife. You know, it's like maybe, a little, yeah, easy, like a little more geometric.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
3: I loved all the Dutch angles. Like this, this episode was rife with Dutch angles to let you know that a mystery was happening, and I thought that <laughs> that, that was that was really great. Um I I just I can't stop thinking about Gilbert Gottfried and the DM, the DMV for the dead. Like it's gonna just stick with me for a really long time because that is that is terrifying. And it's a happy ep- it's a happy episode. Like it's we all learn something really valuable and there's like a slight morality tale to it. It's vaguely religious, but not too in your face about it. Like I would say this is one of the more uplifting episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, did anybody else have anything more that they wanted to say about this particular episode?
2: Um, I did just want to mention, this is not just a very young Ryan Gosling. I was looking at IMDB and this is apparently his very first t- TV or film role.
3: Oh, cool. Yeah.
1: So like this is...
3: before Mickey Mouse Club? Apparently, yeah. Ooh,
0: maybe
1: hey. this guy Mickey Mouse Club. Well, yeah. Cause, I mean, <laughs> this is Canadian. Yeah. And he's Canadian, so you'd have if, to move down to L.A. to be Mickey Mouse Club. I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
3: If he's so young, how does he have a job working for that mechanic? <laughs> he's just good with his hands. <laughs> who, I think it's like think a that,
1: part-time
3: young
4: kid job.
3: Like,
1: I think the mechanics across the street from their house. It seems. Is what I got the feel for in it. I could
0: I could see a 13 or 14 year old kid being really interested in cars and going and helping out and learning from an older mechanic.
1: Right. Because, yeah, when like the scene when they're going to when Jamie and the dead dude are like driving to the the radio station, I'm pretty sure the dead dude is driving the hearse. I
0: thought I caught that too. Yeah. Yeah. So like
1: <laughs> Jamie's not old enough to drive a car. He's just helps huh. work on them. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Okay. No, you're you're actually right, Val. This is his first appearance as an actor on a show, but he appears as himself in the Mickey Mouse Club pre- prior to this.
3: Oh. I was oh, gonna say oh, he's okay.
1: not
5: acting then.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's just that's just living his best life.
2: It's <laughs> just as him being Ryan Gosling, apparently.
3: Yes. Because that's
1: you know the Mickey Mouse Club is just a clubhouse. They just happen to put cameras in there. Right. None of those kids are actors.
3: No, <laughs> not none, at all. None
1: of them are being fed to the mouse machine.
4: <laughs> no. <laughs> oh gosh.
1: Nothing ever bad happens to a Mickey Mouse Club member.
0: This show has a lot of a lot of young. Celebrity appearances kind of before people were stars or as they were becoming stars, which I think is really fun. You see it to spot different people here and there throughout the episodes. And I definitely want to revisit this show again. Um,
1: yeah, for
4: sure. Yeah.
0: I mean, other than like a really strong recommendation and saying that this is, you know, I think this is a really great show to visit during the summertime, especially. If you were a kid in the 90s and you want to, you know, have a little bit of nostalgic escapism and...
1: Right, I feel like if you have uh, that age of a kid, like, it yes. still holds up.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean... You might have to explain a few things like uh, like old telephones and answering machines.
3: <laughs> and boombox radios. Oh, right.
0: God. Why don't they just use their <laughs> iPhone? Right. Right. <laughs> Why did they
1: bring a boombox to the woods? That's so hard to carry. You should just bring your phone.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Why did he lose a
1: flashlight? It's connected to your phone.
3: Oh god. (laughs) Oh my god. Yes.
0: (laughs) Alrighty. Well, does anybody else any final thoughts or anything before we wrap up?
2: No. I think that's a. We covered it pretty well.
0: Great. Well, I will. Thank you all for joining us around the campfire for this episode. Join us for our next episode, which will also be in the 90s childhood nostalgia theme. We are going to discuss the Disney made-for-TV movie, which is based off of a ride, which is based off the Twilight Zone. I'm talking about The Tower of Terror with Steve Cooper and Kirsten Dunst. So and and a real real fun note before we close here I just wanted to mention that the person who directed the Tale of the Twisted Claw episode DJ McHale also directed the Tower of Terror film according oh to the research I did. So he he did a few episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark and because I binged a bunch later when I was kind of looking ahead and looking at some Tower of Terror stuff I'm like wait I know that name. I've been seeing it a lot in credits lately. Like this guy worked on Are You Afraid of the Dark? So we're gonna have this fun transition with with this this director's career as we go to from virtual campfire to virtual theme park. So until next time, I declare this meeting of the Davenport Society closed.
5: that someone's always there.